Teachers Care Society, the podcast that talks about all news and development in the educational field. We have a good show for you today as I'm joined by Danielle Vela, kindergarten teacher from Orange County, California, as we'll be discussing self-worth and self-care. And we'll also be discussing different strategies to help students realize their self-worth. So without further ado, let's jump right in. Today's guest is Danielle Vela, a kindergarten teacher from Orange County, California, and welcome to the show. Happy New Year's, and how are you doing? Happy New Year. Um, I'm doing well, thank you. Um, It was a good break, two weeks off, um, but now we're back full force into (laughs) school, Um, but I'm doing well. Definitely needed that break um, and rejuvenated to go back into work, so I'm doing well. How are you? Doing good, good. I think I'm like most teachers, uh, we agree that maybe the break was a little bit too short. One week longer would have been just a little bit nicer. So I agree. I agree. <laughs> but you actually had a very, 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 very busy year with lots of accomplishments. And I think recently you started your own business venture. I think it's called Authentically Align. Is, is, is that what it's called? Or Yes. Can you, can you yes. tell me more about that? Yeah, of course. Um, so this started kind of um, out of another business that I currently have. Um, so I own a health and wellness business with Arbon, And with that, um, we do a lot of personal development, just learning about yourself and how to be the best version of yourself. Um, and from that, I really dove into like self-care and learning about myself and how I'm able to be my authentic self. Um, and so I did a lot of work with life coaches um, and just a lot of inner work. And from there, I I just became so passionate about what I was learning and how I saw a change in myself, how I was able to live my best life and just be happy um, with that inner happiness. And then I just really wanted to be able to share that with others. So I'm a natural teacher. So I just love sharing and teaching others um, to do to just be their best selves um, and to just be happy from the inside out. I think definitely, definitely this year has been very hard and challenging. Um, And so people are probably looking for more ways to be more happy and have that self-care and develop that self-worth. So that's kind of how um, that business venture came along. So I got my life coaching certification um, and now I'm just excited to kind of go into that business venture and see where it takes me. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely shows off that, you know, you're living your best life and, you know, big props to you finding that that positivity and what most people describe such a negative year, but it's quite amazing. And, you know, you're a big believer in vision boards and did you create one for the new year? Yeah, for sure. So the first thing I like to do is kind of a visualization exercise. So um, last week I kind of did some meditation and focused on where does Danielle see herself um, in December 2021? And it's so interesting. So I visualize it and I go into so much detail, like what does the room look like? Um, What does... um, 
sorry. I live on the main street so you can hear everything. Um, but what does the room look like? Um, what am I wearing? What am I doing? What things make me happy? Just going into so much detail. Um, and then from there, I kind of create my vision board. So for the new year, um, it is a new house, hopefully like my own place. Um, two successful businesses with both um, Arbonne and my authentically aligned life coaching business um, and just inner happiness, um, focusing on things that make me happy and things that I enjoy. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much what I have so far. I'm still working on it, um, but that's what I have so far. Oh, that's kind of impressive. You're very, very, very detail oriented. That's, that's very neat. I wonder uh, if you you know plan out all the details when it comes to celebrations or even, I don't know, if you do want to get married, if you'll plan out all those details. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm. That is one thing about me. I'm very detail oriented, but only when I want to be. Like if it's something I don't care about, I'm just like, oh, I don't, I don't need all the details for that. But yeah, um, I am pretty detail oriented. And I feel like that really helps me like hone in on what I truly want. Um, and I didn't do that until this year. Usually I'd have like my vision, like 2019, I'm like, I'm going to run a marathon. I'm going to like work out every day and all of this. Um, but this time I just like really want to focus on those small things, um, Mm -hmm. that are important to me this year. That's neat. And then something that I realized you're, I think recently you started picking up boxing, right? Can can you tell me Mm -hmm. about that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, I love it. So fun. Um, shout out to my favorite gym, fight gym, but I started two years ago, um, just for fun. I remember one friend was like, come with me to a class. And I was like, okay, I went and I just loved it. It was so much fun. Um, and it's like a perfect stress relief. Like if there's a stressful day, I'm like, okay, I'm going to boxing and I'm just going to take out all my stress. Um, so it was definitely at first just for like a new hobby. Um, but then I continued doing it because it was just great exercise and also just a great stress relief as well. <laughs> yeah, that's great. You're, uh, I guess, feeding a lot of birds with the one seed. So yeah, uh, stress relief um, looks very liberating and, and, and yeah, and exercise all at the same time. So that's pretty neat. I mean, what else do you do to distress actually? Yeah. Um, so big thing for me is like exercise. I think that really helps me. So other than boxing, um, I like to run sometimes. Um, and I also, I picked up golfing, which is super fun. Um, and so exercise is a big one for me. Also, uh, meditation. Um, I love any type of like self-care with like massages or facials, like that is all me. I love doing that. Um, or just taking time, um, for myself and just relaxing and just doing nothing. Um, cause for me, my personality is just like, go, go, go do, do, do. But, um, being able to like stop and just breathe and just reflect. And that helps me de-stress a lot. Uh, I know you, you mentioned meditation. Are you like an outdoor kind of person? Like you meditate outside or you meditate inside or it doesn't really matter? Um, I would say usually I meditate inside, but I do like being in nature. Um, but I've actually never meditated outside, but I think I would actually really like it because I love going on like nature walks or hikes. Um, so actually I should try that. Okay. All right. And then 
you, you describe yourself as a very uh, spiritual uh, individual. Then you, you know you mentioned meditation, and then I think you also talked about high vibrations. Um, for the listeners who don't know that, can you like explain what it means maybe for someone to have low vibrations? Yeah, for sure. Um, so if you're in kind of like a low vibration state, it's kind of like you are tired or sluggish all the time. You have a lot of like negative energy. Your mind goes to negative things, you kind of feel like stuck um, or uninspired. Sometimes you can get angry. You can get like easily triggered. Um, and so being in those low vibrations is definitely like a mindset. Um, but I think it's important to know that you can change that and you have the power to change it within yourself. Um, so what that looks like is just checking in on your mind, your body and your soul and realizing like, how can I take this event and look at it as a place of love or a place of serving instead of being so negative about a certain situation? Um, how can you look at it through positivity or love or compassion or peacefulness? Um, and I think that's really helped me change my mindset on a lot of things. Um, because when you have those higher thoughts, you're going to be in a state of higher vibrations and those energies and you're going, you will attract what you're putting off. Um, so if you're in that negative headspace, you're just going to attract more of that negative energy. Um, but if you choose to look at it through things of like love and positivity, you will be able to have such a positive outlook on it and be able to realize the silver lining in everything, um, even if it's like the smallest thing. So I think for me, when I come to like stressful times, whether it's like report card times or like parent conferences time, like I'm just like stressed, like, oh my gosh, I have to do this, 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 and this. Um, but one day I was like, you know what? Like I need to look at this with a better mindset. Like I get to connect with the kids all day. I get to connect with the parents and tell them how awesome their kids are. Um, and so just Flipping the perspective and looking at it, um, which is positivity, um, can definitely change those vibrations. Um, and so if you are in a state of that low um, vibrational energy, just know it's definitely possible to reverse that within yourself. Yeah. And then, yeah, you're right. There are stressful times as a teacher, like, uh, IEP meetings or report cards mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. evaluations. So no, very good. Very good. Definitely. Um, so then for me, I am a big believer in affirmations and I believe you are too. And so I've been incorporating a lot of, uh, micro affirmations for myself. Um, not only, you know, at home, but also at school. And then for those who don't know, you know, micro affirmations are kind of like these small acts of promoting inclusion, caring, and like grateful acts of listening. So examples are recognizing achievements of others or asking others for input or using fa uh, friendly facial expressions and gestures. So basically like small acts of inclusion. So you know, I could, you know, the holidays just, you know, pass by and, you know, we're just here in the new years. I could congratulate someone, you know, I'm glad you went through the whole year, you know, whatever on your diet, or I can congratulate, congratulate someone else on another accomplishment, or I could say, Oh, thank you for, for helping me out. Or thank you for giving your advice. So those are some examples. Do you do a lot of affirmations? 
Yeah, for sure. Um, I love what you said about micro affirmations. I've never really knew the term for that, um, but I, I do think I do um, that a lot. So just like smiling um, to people like around campus or just um, being friendly just being kind. So I do think I include those micro affirmations, but yes, I also do affirmations within myself, um, for sure. So I have a morning routine that I do. Um, so each day I start with like my meditation. And then the second thing after that is my affirmations. Um, so I like to call it like my miracle morning. So I talk about, um, I go through like 15 or 20 affirmations that I just save on my phone and I read them every day. Um, but it's kind of like, I am strong in my mind, body, and spirit. I feel good about being me. Um, I like to say I am whole and complete. One of my favorite ones that I like to say, um, is just like, I live in joy and I choose to be happy right now. Even though sometimes I wake up in the morning and I'm so tired. I'm like, I, I'm not in, I do not have joy right now. I'm not happy. I'm so tired. Um, but just like repeating those in your brain, um, it's almost like you're training your brain to believe that. Um, and so I will get up and I'll just look in the mirror. Like I choose to be happy right now. Like I'm so excited about this day. Um, and then that just kind of sets the day, um, for you. Like you're just in a positive mindset. Um, you just go through the day more easily. And I think it definitely changed the way, um, I operate on a day-to-day basis just by doing those affirmations every morning. So I love saying affirmations. Um, and I think they're so important to include in your day. Yeah, I really like how you say um, I'm whole and complete because, you know, there's a lot of people who might have those negative thoughts. Oh, maybe because I'm not, say, in a relationship or maybe because I don't have this money or I don't have that particular item that they might feel incomplete. But yeah, I like that one. He says, I'm whole and complete. I'm happy with what I am and where I am right now. So that's a nice touch. Um, let's, let's jump into our first topic and that's, that's self-worth. So before we jump in, I think everyone knows and everyone listens to this, that they know that that's teaching stuff, very stressful, but rewarding experience. And, you know, with that, we need to take care of, our, of ourselves, um, especially if we do want to prevent burnout, which happens a lot. And so with self-worth, uh, what is it? So it's, it's often associated with self-esteem and self-value and they're, kind of used interchangeably. So self-worth is feeling that you're a good person who deserves to be treated with respect. You know, it's, it's less about measuring yourself based on internal actions and more about valuing your inherent worth as a person. So basically to summarize self-worth is about who you are and not necessarily what you do. And then self-value is more behavioral than emotional. And it's also how you act towards what you value. And then self-esteem is similar to self-worth, but it is more what we think, feel, and believe about ourselves. So, you know, I could feel good one day and, you know, I could have low esteem the next day. And then self-worth is actually recognizing that we're all of these things together. And lastly, we also have self-confidence, which is, uh, the, the big difference is like self-confidence focuses on like specific area. So I could have, um, high self-worth, but low self-confidence in my basketball skills, you know, mostly because I'm, you know, I'm a horrible basketball player, <laughs> but I still have that self-worth knowing like, all right, this is okay. You know, I'm never going to be, you know, the next LeBron James or, you know, Kobe Bryant, but, but uh, you know, I don't, I don't have high self-confidence that, but I do have the high, uh, self-worth. And so, uh, you know, 
you know, just with that, you know, to summarize, self-worth is essentially just really focusing on your unique qualities and not external uh, factors like looks um, or approval from others or even academic performances. And, you know, we really shouldn't be rating ourselves and basically just enjoy ourselves or being us. You know, I'm happy with who I am. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, earlier I said, you seem pretty happy with yourself. I know you had a really good uh, 2020, but you know, was there something, I guess that was holding you back from realizing your self-worth before, or maybe any big worries? Yeah, for sure. So I think this was the first year that I kind of sat down and thought about it. It could have been all the time in like quarantine where I had just so much time like with myself. Um, and it, but it truly helped me get back to my self-worth. So I think before, um, I was just kind of running on autopilot. So like going throughout my day, um, doing what I had to do and never really taking the time to understand like, who is Danielle? What does she like? What are things that she enjoys doing? Like, who is she? Um, so when I was able to pause and reflect on that and do a lot of inner work, um, you start to realize that like you have so much goodness, um, within you and everyone has that self-worth and everyone is worthy and whole and complete. And it makes me sad to think that like people aren't tapping into like their highest self, their, their highest potential. Um, so that is what I wanted to help people with, but there's also a lot of, a lot of outside pressures. I think, um, that kind of hold you back from realizing it, um, which could be like other people's judgments or just other people's thoughts. A lot of people care what other people think about them. And, I think for me, this was a year of learning that like, it does not matter what other people think about me. All that matters is like, I am happy within myself. um, And I don't need like that external validation from an outside source. So I think before I was looking for my worth or happiness um, from outside sources until I realized that no, it doesn't come from external validations. It comes from internal, comes from yourself. Um, And then when I had that mindset shift, I just really focused on being my authentic self and the best version of myself. So there's definitely um, some things that held me back. Um, but this year I realized like, no, those things aren't going to hold me back anymore. And I'm going to strive to be who I am. And I know, uh, you know, like, with this whole mindset and this whole idea, it can be a little bit hard for some people. Um, trying to let go of the idea of like, you know, the validation through uh, you know, external factors or those other, you know, other ways that people measure like, Oh, um, how I'm doing or if people like me, do I have a lot of friends? I know it, it can be hard for some people, but it's totally plausible. Um, and then for me, since I'm new to the district where I'm at right now, I really had to stop uh, comparing myself to other teachers and comparing myself to how they're teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, there are many things that I'm, as a teacher, that I'm still working on, especially since I'm teaching via distance learning. And yeah. I have never taught special ed via mm-hmm. distance learning uh, or even kindergartners. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I had to, you know, it was a big, uh, you know, shift. And so, you know, luckily I did have experience teaching fourth grade last year, um, gen ed. 
um, I think from May to June and it was a totally new realm for me. And yeah, I was like, you know, building the train tracks while on the train, you know, as I was going. And so, you know, one of my first instincts was just comparing myself to my co-teachers. So the other, uh, TK one spec teachers that I have, and you know, she's the best, she's a sweetheart. But there was just that, uh, like the inner critique in me comparing myself, like, wow, you know, this teacher really has it done. She really has it all under control. She makes it look so easy mm-hmm. and it's just unhealthy. <laughs> it's, it, it was not a good look. It was, yeah. it's kind of like, I, I was really stressing about every single thing and it was, you know, it started to affect the way I was teaching because I was worried about every single little thing. Like, Oh, maybe I did this wrong or maybe I'm being judged. The parents don't like it. The kids aren't learning. My aides are think I'm a weird mm-hmm. teacher or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I just, I had to overcome that, that inner critique. And for you, when you first started teaching, did you critique yourself a lot? Absolutely. Um, before I share, do you mind sharing how long that teacher had been teaching? Like yeah, your co-teacher? so my co-teacher is, is this is year three for her, and okay. so okay. Like, she makes it look so easy. <laughs> yeah, but compared to what your first year? Yeah, and okay. the first year of the sister. Yeah, yeah. Um, so honestly, if there's one thing that I learned this year, is well, I'm actually there's a lot of things I learned, but one big thing was like comparison is the thief of joy. Like no matter if you compare up, down, compare someone side to side to you, like there is always something that will bring you down. And so once you start comparing and looking at, oh, what this teacher did, oh, look at their cool lesson, look at their cool technology that they're using, like it just lowers like your self-worth. And and that is exactly what I'm like going against. So I'm like, no, I'm not going to compare myself to any other people because I know that I'm doing the best that I can. And it's almost like focusing on progress over perfectionism. And so for me, I've always held myself to high standards to like a perfectionism level. Um, So I say now I'm like a recovering perfectionist, but it's like, I would hold myself to these high standards and then be disappointed or feel defeated when I was not um, like up to par with these other teachers. And I have to think like they've been teaching for this amount of years, like they have it under their belt, like they know what they're doing. So I really had to look at that and be like, I can't compare myself to them. Like I am not them. We each have our own unique talents and gifts that are unique to ourselves. Um, So I just love to empower people to like take those truths and use those unique gifts as like use those um, and step into your power instead of comparing and being in another state. So it's just giving yourself grace um, and realizing that like your worth isn't equated with um, your job. So it's like just because I'm not doing this perfectly doesn't mean you are not worthy or not capable. So yes, I definitely critiqued myself a lot. Um, and it's definitely a natural thing to do. Um, but I think it's really important to also realize that like we all have our own unique talents and, um, to really hone in on those and use those. 
Yeah, I, I, I like the fact how you said uh, comparing yourself, you know, people above or beneath you, even side to side. Because sometimes you do uh, compare yourself and think you're better than someone else, and that's still, even that, that's that's still unhealthy. <laughs> you, you should really look down on someone. Like, oh, I'm a much better teacher than this uh, than this person. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I can go literally yeah. every way. Yeah, and you know, the the inner critique that we all have, um, unfortunately, can be kind of quite cruel sometimes. And maybe you're struggling with ed tech or classroom management or you know, anything else. And so basically like your inner critique might, might be thoughts like, Oh, I can't figure this technology out, which uh, I'm sure lots of teachers have had. And so, uh, or someone else might say, maybe a new teacher might say, Oh, I'm, I will never get these students to, to pay attention. And, mm-hmm. and so to order combat these, like these negative thoughts, like this inner critique, uh, you I, I want to practice like self-compassion by responding and saying something like, Oh, I may struggle with classroom management or I need, I may need more practice with this technology. And so saying something like that does help me acknowledge that my areas of improvement, but you know, much positive and in a much nicer way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the goal here isn't necessarily meant to like boost my ego. I'm not all of a sudden going to say like, all right, I'm the best at this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's uh, you know, it's not realistic, but I, I do, I will admit saying, Oh, I, I may not be good with this or I might need a little bit of help with this, or I may struggle with this. And that's, that's good. I'm acknowledging that I need help with it, but that I can get better. And that's, that's me being honest. And that's me acknowledging. Do you do a lot of like self-reflecting and talking like to your inner critique or your inner voice? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think that inner critic or that inner voice can be challenging sometimes because it is just that inner voice has been with you just like for a long time and it could be very loud. Um, and it can almost prevent you from thinking about like the real issue or it just can, it can just, I don't know. I'm definitely like an overthinker. So I can let that inner voice kind of just like run in my head and it could be kind of, um, negative sometimes. Um, so I think it's just important to know that you can hear the, the inner voice, but it, it's not like you're the one who hears it, which means you have control over it. So you, ha- you have control over the voice, but the voice doesn't control you. So I do a lot of self-reflecting and taking a look at the thought and thinking like, is this true? Is this really like what I feel about myself? So like, if I have like a bad day, I'm like, Oh my gosh, like I'm so terrible. I did this, this, and this. Um, but I'll really look at it and be like, is that true? And then I, what I like to do is gather evidence of the opposite. So instead of honing in on, Oh, I'm such a bad teacher. I'll flip it and be like, Oh, I'm such a good teacher. And then gather the evidence of like, because when I did this and this and this, so it's almost like training your brain to think the opposite. And our brain loves data and loves just gathering evidence. So when I'm like, Oh, that is not true because X, Y, and Z. So it's really, I, I would say my inner voice is pretty strong, but what I'm working on now is being able to like focus on that thought and reverse it and be like, no, that is not what I think about myself because of this. Yeah. I like the fact that you say, you know, the inner voice is only, you know, you're the only one that can hear it. And yeah, you know, 
you know, maybe just keep it that way. You know, don't really act upon mm-hmm. it or don't even, mm-hmm. you know, try not to vocalize them. You know, say it aloud, like, cause you know, once you do, then you're, you're kind of you know, defeating yourself. If you really do, uh, you know, say it out loud like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes, sorry, sometimes like you'll say it out loud to other people. And then it just like sounds silly because they're just like, are you serious? Like that is not you at all. So yeah, yeah it could be good, difficult. That's a good point. And then I guess, so the big question is how do we teach self-worth to our students? And I know, you know, when it comes to self-worth uh, for our students, uh, it, it really does stem from self-confidence and confidence. And so when we are teaching these concepts to our students, you know, the end goal that we want them is to show their independence, you know, and be able to practice these goals all by themselves. And we want our students to be confident in their abilities to show us what they learn, you know, however it is and show us the mastery of that. And when we are teaching our students new things or new concepts, you know, we also want to teach them or have them believe in their ability to do something on their own and try and learn these new things. I know some teachers and even some parents and guardians, they worry about, you know, making sure their students don't make mistakes and frequently step in and try and correct their children. And I see the intentions. I, I know that they're well-intentioned that they, they want to make sure their students get it right or the, their children get it right. But mm-hmm. what, you know, essentially you're doing is reinforcing to the students that you don't believe in them, that they can do this on their own or that they have the ability to do these things. And you know, eventually lead to them doubting themselves. And, you know, more often than not, uh, they will expect for you or for someone else, the teacher or another adult to come in and save them or from making the wrong move or making the wrong answer or making a mistake. And, you know, that's not what we do. We want them to actually explore in the whole trial and error. And so what I recommend instead of, um, constantly stepping in to like solve the problem for them is helping them go through the motions, like going through the different challenges. So take, for example, a math problem and a student says, Oh, I can't do this problem. Or, you know, they might say something, Oh, I'm not smart. And you know, unfortunately I did have a lot of students who they struggled with math and they would say something like this. They would just say, Oh, I'm not smart. I'm not good at math. And so basically, um, you know, what we could do is acknowledge how they're feeling and then try and help them figure out the problem um, by scaffolding. And so (laughs) what I would say is, Oh, I'm so proud of you for working so hard um, on this test or on this problem. Way to go. I see you're trying to solve this problem. Or you could say, Hmm, what do we know? Or, Oh, I like how you're, steps one through B correctly and what do we do next or maybe maybe we can work backwards or let's look at another problem that looks the same does this problem look like another problem we did in class or for homework or another one on the test and so by saying all these things I am praising their efforts so whatever effort it is like even if it's just reading the problem <laughs> that's still effort right there because you know mm-hmm. they, they read it to just even try to attempt it because sometimes kids will just like all right i don't want to do this but i'm yeah. acknowledging their efforts and then you know looking at their work and then you know, if part of the problem is correct you know praise them on that i see how you, you put the decimal correct or i see how you aligned it up correctly you know acknowledging whatever accomplishment they have already and then 
you know, after prayers, then you can offer some help for them to, to solve it. So have you experienced lots of situations like this where instead of trying to provide the answer, you help the students go through the motions of them solving it on their own? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's one of my favorite things to do because at the end of the day, if we spoon feed them that information, like they're never truly going to learn it. They're just going to expect you to kind of give give them that information. So that is one of my favorite things to kind of lead them to the answer, to kind of guide and ask those questions um, for them to solve it on their own. And it's really cool to see um, once you start asking those like scaffolding questions, they they start to see the steps and you can see their brain working and like finally clicking and they're like, yes, like I got it. Um, so that is something I really like to do. Um, I would just be like, let's look at this again. Like, are you sure what number comes after eight? So I just like guide them to, <laughs> for them to find the answer. Um, and something I really like is, um, the five E instructional models. So something um, I learned in my credential program that we used um, for like science or STEM activities, but it's just allowing them to first engage and explore on their own. So it's like giving them a problem and them being able to solve it and really explore and dive into what it is. And then after that, you go into explaining and giving them the concepts and then maybe potentially expanding on that. Um, but that's one of my favorite things is just to have the kids dive into the information and letting them discover it on their own. I think it really allows um, for student inquiry and just allows for critical thinking and just those skills that they're going to need beyond whatever math problem they're solving. Um, so it's something that they'll be able to take um, with them for their life and those lifelong skills. So that's definitely something I enjoy doing and love seeing them do as well. Uh, that's, that's pretty neat. I like that. And anyway, how you mentioned before, you know, when they do solve the problem, that's all the more satisfying, uh, kind of like, you know, it's good to, to eat delicious food, but it's more satisfying when you actually make the food. So, uh, you know, just like that. So when we help them solve the problem, you know, help them go through the motions and it shows them and they're able to realize that, Hey, I'm more than capable of solving this problem on my, on my own. And again, the key word is self-worth. And so the next thing I, I would recommend to help students with self-worth is paying attention to what they enjoy and what they do well. You know, every student has their strengths and uh, their areas of improvement. So whatever they do enjoy allow many opportunities for them to grow in those areas and for example i have several students who just are amazing at art <laughs> they're better artists than me and so yes uh, i can relate <laughs> and so uh and i may have other students who who love telling time and so I allow them to, Hey, what, you know, what time is it or what's next? And so I allow many opportunities and I'm constantly looking for, for areas or ways to incorporate these, um, the areas of strengths. And so I want to nurture the strengths and I want them to show off what they know because I know they enjoy the activity and I'm only by providing these opportunities, I'm allowing them to you know, further their strengths and these skills. And I know there's criticism that, that, that there might be like, Oh, if they're good at this already, you know, why keep working on this? But, you know, I, I, I know, I know that we should also focus on the areas of improvement, but you know, the way I do it is I slowly increase the difficulty at whatever they're good at. Um, for example, like again, for telling time for, 
uh, one of my kids, they, they, they love telling time, but they read digital. And so I'm trying to teach them how to tell time analog. And so I'm just slowly increasing the difficulty for my students who like really like art. And like they're able to cut a straight line, maybe cut a zigzag line, maybe cut a circle line, maybe try to cut a squiggly line. So slowly increasing the difficulty because I do want to challenge them on their favorite subject. And if you do think long-term and I mean like really, really long-term, yeah, like we want students to find like their calling, whatever it may be. Like, mm-hmm. you know, my students say, oh, I'm really good at art or maybe I'm really good at math. It might lead to a particular passion um, or a particular talent that may have that might lead to a career that they way further down the line. And so, and you know, that, that leads to a life full of self-worth and, and happiness because they're doing something that they're good at and something that makes them happy. Do you allow mm-hmm. a, a lot of opportunities for students to show off their strengths and, and their talents? Yeah, for sure. Um, one of my favorite things as well is just watching them talk about things that they love or things that they're passionate about because they truly just like light up. Like you just know when they love that one thing and they will just talk about it for hours and just like <laughs> that's all they want to do. Um, so I think it's super fun and interesting to learn about the students. So I think um, I do a really great job of like connecting with them. I love learning about them, what they enjoy in school, what they enjoy out of school, like what their family life is like. Um, So I just when they talk about those things, um, I just love seeing them light up. So every morning we do a morning meeting. Um, and we'll usually have like some type of question, um, whether it's like, what did you do over the weekend? Or like, what is your favorite this? Or like a, would you rather question? Um, so I think for that, it's really, um, eye opening to see like what they really enjoy and you get to see more of their personality. So those morning meetings every morning definitely help you connect to them. And it's a good way for them to show off like what they enjoy. Um, and then I've also done share activities. So it's kind of like a show and tell, but they'll bring something to share. And that is just like the highlight of their day. Um, like they will get so excited about some toy or whatever they bring and just being able to show off, um, that whatever they bring and just them being so excited and happy about it, I think is so fun to see. Um, so I think it's important to allow students to be themselves and do things that they enjoy inside the classroom. That's a, that's a, you know, a good point when, when you allow them to share, cause you know, let them share what they did over the weekend, let them share, what they did for the winter break or what they did, you know, for their birthday. And it's always a great opportunity because, you know, mm-hmm. we're, we're always uh, worried about academics, but, you know, at the same time, let's, you know, let's get to know the whole student. Let's, let's know what, you know, what excites them, what they really enjoy. So that's a good point. Um, and then when students, when they do struggle with a task or activity, and I know we can always tie it back to the whole scaffolding and basically coaching them through the challenge, like I said before, but one of the biggest strategies that I think teachers are a bit hesitant is uh, offering choices. And I, I see that teachers might be hesitant because they feel they might lose control of the classroom if they offer choices. But when offering choices, um, it, it works great at all grade levels, um, whether sped or English language learners or you're gifted and talented uh, education. So the reason behind offering students choices is that you give them confidence in their judgment. So when you offer a choice, I would recommend that 
the options don't distract from whatever the goal is you're trying to achieve. So, um, for me, so say you want the students like for me at the end of the day, we, we have the students put up their chairs and, and stack them. And so the choice I would offer is like, all right, do you want to stack your chair on this side or on the other side? Do you want to do it by yourself or do you need help? Um, do you want to go first or do you want to go last? And these choices, the goal is still having the students stack their chair. Um, as just offering different ways to go about that particular goal. It wouldn't be effective if I offer choices like, all right, do you want to stack your choice or your, your chair? Or, you know, do you want to play with a toy or do you want to stack your chair or do you want to grab your backpack? Obviously if a student does not want to stack their chair for, for the end of the day for cleaning up, they're obviously going to choose the other option and pretty much defeats the purpose of offering choices. So offering choices like this, uh, uh, you know, when I, if I say, do you need help or do you want to do it by yourself? Do you want to first or last? They don't distract from the goal because you were building the self-confidence in their decision, which eventually leads to self-worth. And so I do want to reinforce the ideas that, um, they have a say in their education, um, by making their, their decisions and, you know, decisions is all about uh, shaping who we are. You know, we make you know, hundreds and hundreds and thousands of decisions every day. And so the same thing for children, instead of telling them what to do all the time, let them make choices. Um, and so when we do offer choices and they need help in the task, I can tie it back to scaffolding and helping them out, uh, going through the motions of solving their problem for, for example, that, that chair problem I just said, if I know a student struggles with putting the chair up, then I could offer, do you need help or do you want to do it by yourself? And by saying something like this, this is a form of scaffolding because I, um, you know, if they're struggling a bit, I can offer helping them on Maybe I could pick the, the corners of this, of the chair and they do the other corners. And same thing for a student who might be really good at stacking chairs. Like, all right, do you want to help your other classmates stacking the chairs? And you know, that's a challenge right there. They're not only doing stacking their chairs, but they're helping their other classmates as well. Cause maybe the student might be the first chair and then they have to help stack the other chairs on top. And you know, it gets harder obviously as you get more and more chairs stacking. So yeah, there's a way of scaffolding there to scaffold for students that are really strong or excel in this particular task, whatever it may be. And students who do need a little bit of help and I can help them out in whatever uh, way it may be. Do you offer a lot of choices for your students and do you see the benefits of this? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think choice is so important and I really like how you said, like, it doesn't matter like who you use it for, whether it's SPED, ELL, GATE students, like it truly is, um, possible to use with all students. Um, and what I really like about it is that when we give them that choice, it gives them like a sense of empowerment. Like, yeah, I pick this choice and they're able to take ownership of what they're choosing. Um, and then it's almost like they are more motivated or they're more willing to do that because they chose whatever it is, um, that they were doing. Um, so it's something I definitely learned from working with sped kids. Um, and it's just like breaking things down and then choosing, okay, do we want to do the reading or do we want to do the math? Um, usually they pick whatever one they like better. Um, but like you said, it's not 
a choice between like a fun activity and like something they, a non preferred, but it's like, okay, you're, you're holding them accountable to do one or the other. And then giving them a choice, um, allows them to really take ownership and then kind of take pride in their choice and then be more willing, um, to do well in whatever choice they pick. So I think choices are so important. I see so many benefits in it. Um, and yeah, we offer lots of choices, um, with, within our classroom, um, because I do see how powerful it is and how um, beneficial it is. Even if it's just like a small thing, like if we're doing winter animals, I'm like, okay, what winter animal do you want to do? Do you want to do, um, like the snow owl or the Arctic fox, just like little things like that. They'll truly take ownership of whatever, um, choice they made. And it just kind of, um, I don't know. I see the benefits in it and they, they really enjoy making that choice as well. I really like the idea how you said about, uh, with making choices, really ownership. Cause you know, at the end of the day, you're like, all right, I chose this. So, you know, let me own it. I, I chose uh, reading this book or I chose doing this math first mm-hmm. over ELA. So I really mm-hmm. like that. Um, I'm aware of the self-worth theory, uh, which basically says that we're supposed to, you know, have self-acceptance through achievements and achievements usually leads to competing with others. Um, I, I think earlier I said like the whole comparing yourself to another teacher or to another colleague. Um, and the whole thing with this competing, it might make us feel better. Um, for short term, but you know, most of us do have a misunderstanding of what really contributes to self-worth. And so most of us think that self-worth has to do with how we feel about appearance or net worth or who we know in a particular social circle, or maybe what we do for a career choice or what it is that we achieve. And so when we think, for example, appearance, we think someone might be more attractive, receives more attention, or we might think with net worth, like this person has more material possessions, which means they have more success. Or for example, someone in our social circle, like, Oh, I know this person. So that means I have her have a higher status because I know this particular person and I have a higher influence. And same thing with career. We often associate an astronaut as being more valuable than a store clerk or a janitor. Or, mm-hmm. So it really shouldn't matter what your job is as long as you're happy and it fulfills you. And if you're really worried about your social circle and, you know, particularly how I guess, in the age now, like digital media. So for example, like social media, if you're really worried about, you know, how, uh, a big falling really influences, uh, the people and, you know, or even the opinions of others have on you, then you're really looking at the, the wrong way. So for example, you can still listen to the opinions of others, um, to get new perspective and to, you know, help us grow. So for example, another teacher or another person might say, Oh, you know, maybe try this. Like, okay. I'll, I'll think that, um, for example, my principal might make a suggestion on how to better communicate with the, the SPED team. And the suggestion is great. And, uh, you know, just because she gave me a suggestion doesn't mean or translate saying I suck at communicating or I have no communication skills. It's, you know, it's, it's coming out of love. She's like, this is cause I want to see you grow. I want to see you be a better teacher. Um, so, I mean, for you, were you the kind of person that put a lot of thought and time into what others are saying about you? Yeah, for sure. Um, so I think a big thing that a lot of us do, um, we take things personal. So like, like what you said, it might've just been like a small little, um, 
thing to fix, but then you take it personal and you just think like, Oh my gosh, like I am terrible. I am not good at this. And then that's when your inner critic keeps going. And it just like, I don't know, it just literally spirals, um, out of control, but I definitely was the type of person who really cared what others were saying and thought a lot about it. Um, and so this year I learned a lot about like the subconscious mind and what that looks like. And it's basically just gathering all of your past experiences and then also focusing on like how you were conditioned, like as a child and a lot of like 95% of your thoughts are coming from that subconscious mind. So if you were, if you grew up as a child, um, and you were used to getting praise for doing well or getting good grades or um, doing good things, you're going to constantly chase after that. And that's kind of where that perfection comes in, because it's like, I'm not going to get that praise. I'm not going to get that self like worth. I'm not going to get that reward unless I reach this level of perfectionism. And so that's when we start tearing ourselves down and thinking like, oh, I have no communication skills. I'm not good at X, Y or Z because we're equating that praise with our self-worth. Um, so like I was saying earlier, um, your worth isn't equated with your work or what you do. So I think it's important to understand like, yes, constructive criticism is important and we should be constantly progressing and learning about ourselves. But at the end of the day, um, your worth does not mean or does not equal what your job is. Like you were saying, just um, associations with different careers, like as long as you're happy and as long as you're doing what you can do to the best of your own ability, I think that is what's truly um, important. And it's just important to know that you are worthy. Like you are important no matter what. If you are excelling in your job or not, if you have a job or not, like everyone is worthy and important. Um, and I think sometimes we forget that. And so I'm definitely the type of person who put a lot of thought and time into what others were saying, just because that is just how I was conditioned. Um, but I'm working on that now to just kind of look at it more as a place of love. Like you were saying, just some criticism, um, constructive criticism, and then just realizing that just because of one thought that someone else said about you doesn't mean your self-worth should be diminished. Yeah. You ready to just come out of love. I know this is a, there's a joke where, uh, say a boy's getting ready to go to school and then, he, you know, he might not look his best because maybe he didn't, I guess, wash his face or he didn't put gel in his hair. And so the mom will tell him, oh, you know, go, go back and brush your teeth or go back and wash your face or go back and, you know, put gel in your hair. And she, she might say, you look like a slob. But it's, but the joke is that the mom's saying, I'm telling this because I love you. So would you rather me tell you or would you rather have someone else tell you, you know, when you're at school? And so mm -hmm. it's coming from mm -hmm. a, from a place of love. So. Yeah, for sure. It's understandable. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I know this is hard and I know it's something not really easy as flipping a switch and uh, other people's accomplishments shouldn't really affect your personal satisfaction or fulfillment. Uh, you know, we all have our individual goals. You know, for example, you could say, I want to work better with time management as a teacher and the teacher next door, you know, in your eyes, it may seem like they have that totally under control, um, but that doesn't change your, your self-worth as a teacher. Uh, your strengths in other areas might, you know, 
be like other might be the weaknesses of other teachers. Um, and for example, you know, your strain might be on lesson planning and the other teachers might struggle with that. Or, you know, you might have strengths in X, Y, and Z and teachers struggle with uh, the same thing, X, Y, and Z. Um, when you first started teaching, did you compare yourself to a lot of the other teachers? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, like I said, I think it's just natural to compare yourself. Um, and it's really easy to just like look at the other teachers and just wonder like, why can't I do what they do? Um, but like I said earlier, like they have been doing this for years, like 10 plus 15 years. Um, and like, for me, I'm just on my third year. Um, so like my first year was just rough. Like everyone's first year is just hard. The second year is like, okay, like I, I do know a little bit more, like I, I can get the hang of this. Um, but I was also getting my master's during that time. So it was just like a lot. And I was like, okay, the third year is going to be so good. Like I got this, the master's and I have two years under my belt. And then all this happened. I'm like, oh my gosh, I went back to square one. Um, but it's so easy to compare yourself to a lot of teachers, but I really like what you said about everyone has like their own strengths and weaknesses. And I, I think, um, that's why it's so important to have that collaboration, um, and just pick up on the strengths of your teacher, your teacher friends, your, um, PLC, your grade level team, and just really focus on, okay, what is this teacher? What is she really good at? Okay, let's pull from that. And you'll be able to take the strengths of everyone um, and then just be able to do what's best for the kids all around just by using all of the teacher's strengths. Um, so I think it's very natural to compare yourself to a lot of other teachers. Um, but I also think it's important to have grace with yourself and just recognize that you are doing the best that you can um, with what you have um, at that moment. Yeah. And going back to how I said our social circle, um, since, you know, especially I see a lot of teachers communicate more and more through social media or just the social presence in general. So like a YouTube channel or Instagram page or Twitter, whatever it may be. And so the amount of followers or subscribers might seem like a high value or even the amount of friends that you might have. And in reality, your self-worth has nothing to do with that. It doesn't really matter the amount of friends or followers or subscribers that you have. It's, it's really more about the quality of the relationship. So I'd rather have 10 really, really close friends, which I, mm -hmm. I currently have right now. And uh, these are the, the really uh, tight knit circle that I can trust on. I can lean on for, for support. So whenever I need help, I know they'll always be there. And same thing for, for them. If they need help, uh, mm -hmm. you know, just a speed dial. I'm right there. And so <laughs> I, it, it's hard for, for certain people to, to understand this. And, uh, you know, um, you know, with that being said, you know, do you have a group of friends that, you know, you'll always be there for them or they'll always be there for you? And, um, what do you, you know, what do you recommend for teachers who feel like they might not have a support system? Yeah, for sure. Um, so I feel very lucky and fortunate to have, um, such a tight knit group of friends. Um, these are friends that, we just got super close in high school, but some of them I met in like second grade, third grade. So they have been around for such a long time. And like you said, like those are my people that I can trust and lean on. Like they are my ride or dies. Like they are there if I need anything. And likewise, I'm there if they need anything. So I think 
having that support system is super important. Um, so like on hard days, you can come home and just like talk to them and they can be there to support you. So I think it's super important to have those friends outside of school, but I also think it's important to have that support system, um, with your teacher friends, like at school. Um, we, I have a good group of uh, my teacher friends. We are constantly like in a group message, talking, texting, FaceTiming. Like, I feel like when you are able to connect with those teachers that know exactly what's going on with exactly what kids and they just, it's just different when they get it and they understand. Cause like sometimes my friends outside of school have no idea, like they can't relate. Um, but there's nothing like teacher friends, um, and that group chat. And it just allows you to be yourself and have that space to, um, reflect on your wins and also maybe on some harder days too. So I think that support system is huge in everything. Um, but for teachers who feel like they don't have that support system, um, I would just say get into like a professional learning network. So like you said, it's becoming huge on social media. There's lots of Facebook groups. Um, I'm in a few and like kindergarten teachers, distance learning, and you get some pretty good ideas. Um, there's a lot of Instagram pages you can follow. So even if you don't have, um, that support in person, you can definitely find it on social media, on the internet. Um, and you can gain a lot of new friends, ideas and support. So that's what I would recommend for teachers who don't really have that support system. Yeah. I, I do like the fact that you said yeah, teacher friends are, are, are different because it's nice, mm -hmm. uh, not having to explain everything or start from scratch. You know, sometimes mm -hmm. even in person, you can just look at another mm -hmm. teacher friend and they know what oh, you're talking yes. about, what yes. you're referencing. <laughs> so, Absolutely. And you know, the beauty of those inside jokes too. So <laughs> it's, it's, it's really nice when you, know, oh, yes. you don't have to explain everything because, you know, for those friends who aren't teachers, they might not get like the punchline of a joke. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, for sure. For um, sure. And so, you know, with self-worth, uh, it actually enhances your self-worth as a teacher actually enhances a student's self-worth and their self-esteem as well. And so there are two key ways to do this. The first one is by providing unconditional love, respect, and just positively, you know, no matter what your students, you know, accept them for who they are without strings, without any strings attached. So teaching the whole students, including their strengths and weaknesses, you know, because more often than not, you know, we have students in our classroom who might struggle with self-esteem and, you know, they might come from broken homes or, I mean, nowadays just with the pandemic, they're, they're just struggling with a lot of stuff at uh -huh. home and lots of issues. And we want to show, show our support to these students. And we want to let them know that we appreciate them for who they are, even if to their eyes, it might, might seem like they're incomplete or like they might even think like there's something wrong with them. And so, you know, by doing this, you know, we just show them that they don't need to do anything to earn our love. Like they don't, you know, they don't need to get us gifts for the holidays or they don't need to do, you know, give us constant praise to, to earn our love or our respect, you know, um, we tell them that we appreciate them for who they are and they can help us break down some of these barriers that these students might have. Some of them might have like a, a chip on their shoulder because they're so used to you know being put down with all this negativity or they might have a history of just teachers not believing them or not having faith in them. And so, mm -hmm. you know, once we do that and we show the students that we accept them unconditionally, you know, that's something, um, 
not something like where oh, I like you now, but I would like you better if you get you know better grades than math. That's something like that. You know, we, we need something to show. Like, you know, I I I like you for who you are, and I, I see that you're growing. Something along those lines. Um, if we say something like that, then you know, in turn, they'll be more likely to be interested in learning and to try new academic challenges. Um, another example I could say is you know we're going to help you out in math um, so that you can better understand it. Uh, with that example I said that says like alright you have somewhat of an understanding in math it might be low we appreciate the effort but we're going to help you out I'm going to help you out um, how do you show students that you know you accept them like that you have that unconditional love for them yeah um, I think just listening to them and just showing that I'm that I care by really just showing interest um, in their interests and just allowing them to be themselves, be their authentic selves, and then just giving them that safe space. And I like to say the classroom is just like the safe space for um, the students to just be who they are. And then um, because I feel like once they're able to be themselves and really show that you care, um, that's when that learning starts. So it's almost like they won't be able to learn until they know that you care about them and you want them to succeed. Um, so that's something I really love to do is just like boosting um, other students' confidence um, and praising them and just praising them on even just like the littlest thing. So even if it's something that I know it's hard for them, it's like, oh my goodness, good, congratulations. Like you read that one, one page or like one word, but like you did it. Like you weren't able to do that last month. Um, so I really love praising them and then being able to like see that in their faces and being able like their demeanor changes when it's like oh like yeah like i am confident like i can do this um so that is one thing i really really um enjoy doing and i feel like i allow them to um be themselves and have that safe space in the classroom yeah i gotta gotta appreciate the little accomplishments Um, I know empathy plays a big role in self-worth as well. So students want to feel like their teachers care and feel for them. So effective teachers usually identify themselves with their students and are well aware of when their students don't understand something or they're just distracted or uh, something's going on outside the classroom. So if you want to improve the self-esteem and self-worth of students, and we need students to understand that self-worth means sharing their experiences and emotions outside the classroom. So how, how you do when you have your, you know, when they share their, what they did over the weekend. And so <laughs> if we ignore this, if we just ignore that the lives that students have outside the classroom, then that sends a message to like, I don't really care about you. You know, when you're in my classroom and I don't really care about you from, from eight to three, anything outside of that, <laughs> you're not my problem. <laughs> so, you know, that's essentially you know, what you're saying. And I, I want my students to feel like they're being valued. And again, yeah, their experiences, emotions outside the classroom, they matter as well. Like I want to know how's your birthday or you just learn how to ride mm -hmm. a scooter or I just, you know, mm -hmm. my tooth fell out or something like that. I, I want to mm -hmm. know mm -hmm. what they're going through. And then it really helps for me to teach the whole child as well. Cause if they're struggling with something or like, 
for example, maybe you're a student, uh, they're in the midst of moving or even a big one, like a child, like they're going to get a new family member in the house, you know, whether it's, you know, a baby boy or baby girl, or even a pet, like things like that are, are a big deal. It's a new introduction mm-hmm. to the, to the family. And I, I want to know this. So for you, do you, I know, did you offer a lot of opportunities for students to share like their emotions and their experiences outside the classroom? Yeah, for sure. Um, so like I mentioned, like that morning meeting, we talk a lot about, um, things that they do outside of class. And also in, um, that morning meeting, we have one slide that is always, um, that says it's like the zones of regulation. So I'm like, okay, what zone are you in today? I'll be like the green zone because I'm <laughs> happy for school today. And I'm like, yay. Or sometimes it's like, I'm in the blue zone. I'm tired. I'm like me too, <laughs> but we have school today. Um, so just being able to, um, identify their emotions and then share that with us, I think is huge. Um, like you said, it's really important to teach to the whole child. Um, And I really like to focus on social emotional learning. I feel like that's huge right now. Um, So that zones of regulation is a good way um, for them to really understand that and connect with their emotions. Um, We also have a social emotional curriculum that we use. It's called Second Step. Um, So that is a good way of them to identify other emotions and empathy and just a good way for them to start young and really develop that um, social emotional learning. So I feel like the morning meeting is really a good chance to um, connect with them, learn more about their experiences, and it also helps them tap into their emotions, which can also tell you a lot about the child as well. Yeah, you're right. The, the the morning, the morning meeting is a great way to really gauge how your students are feeling. If someone woke up on the wrong side of the bed or someone woke up uh, mm-hmm. a little bit grumpy, maybe they didn't eat breakfast or just, just woke up late. So it's, it's a really good way to you know gauge how your students are, how they woke up and you know, mm-hmm. kind of like an indicator how the rest of the day might, might be. So, but the, the last thing I do know that we, the way we influence the student's self-worth is through communication and I briefly touched on this. So with the, the micro affirmation, so there's verbal and there's nonverbal. So with verbal communication, we can enhance the student's self-worth and self-esteem by praising uh, affirmations, words of encouragement. And then with nonverbal communication, uh, it's no secret that students pick up on our body language that we give off. Uh, you know, students are very sensitive to our eye contact, tone, body gestures, and our speed of response. You know, you have a teacher who might, you know, might be in the corner with their arms crossed and it's not really, doesn't really give off the best, you know, approachable, uh, tone or vibe and mm-hmm. even with responses. So for example, if a student asks for help and we respond to them pretty quickly and then, same thing. Another student asked for another student asked for help, and it was a much slower response. And <laughs> they see like we're dragging our feet, or we give out a loud sigh before we head off to mm-hmm. them. Yeah, students are gonna like, they're gonna pick up on that. Like, oh man, this 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 teacher doesn't want to really doesn't want to help me. And so, oh, yeah. things I would recommend are standing up straight, smiling, trying to avoid the folding of the arms. You know, kind of have that like open body, uh, body. What's it called? that body gesture and you know being aware of particular barriers that you might have whether it's your own body like of your arms or maybe whether it's actual barriers like if you're always standing behind the desk or maybe you're like always in the back of the classroom or in the corner of the classroom so 
uh, and then even with facial expressions, you know, or lack of facial expressions, you know, you have the teachers smiling or you have the teachers who's not smiling. So pay attention mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. your response wait time, make it a relaxing environment. Not like, you know, there's a big rush. Like, all right, if you give a problem to be like, all right, you guys have three seconds, y'all have three seconds to answer this. You know, like <laughs> give them time to, to read it, to interpret it, to process it. Um, mm-hmm. And if not everyone has a chance to answer her, then something I like to do is acknowledge the students who did have their hands up, but who, who I didn't actually have the time to, to actually, you know, pick on them to sh- share their answer. I would say, Oh, thank you for participating. Or I was in a, or I might say something like, were you agreeing with Samantha or with Jimmy or write down your answer or your thought and we'll come back to it later because, you know, I do want to acknowledge their participation, even though I didn't get the chance to, to pick on them just because we need to move on or just because of time restraints. Do you use a lot of communication with your students to show that you care for them? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think that body language and those gestures are huge. I think um, the nonverbal communication is huge. I was actually a communication studies major in college. So I took a lot of those classes and learned a lot about that. Um, So I think it's super important to have that open body language um, because I really think those kids pick up on it and they pick up on more than like what you would think, which is like kind of scary. Like it's true. It's true. Um, So I think if, if you, if teachers put off that um, persona that like, like what you were saying, like arms crossed or like not smiling, like they pick up on that and um, they truly see that is how you are. But if you can flip that and just be open, you're smiling. Sometimes I'll just like look at the students and just like smile. And they're like, what are you doing? I'm just like, just smiling. Like, I don't know. Like I want them to see me just like happy and like energetic and like them being able to see that, like I am happy to be their teacher and I am happy to, um, be there with them. Um, because I think they can definitely pick up on that and they know when it's not really genuine. And sometimes it's hard. Like if you're having a hard day, like, and you don't want to be in that persona, sometimes just like fake it until you make it. Um, (laughs) and because they will pick up on that. And I think that's so important. Um, but I do, um, use that communication, both verbal and nonverbal, um, and just, it just makes them feel comfortable and then kind of reinforcing that like there's no dumb questions or like there's just what this is a learning opportunity. Um, and last year, so every year um, we do have like a professional learning goal um, with Marzano. And last year, um, mine was focusing on asking questions of low expectancy students. Um, so we really learned how to kind of give more wait time um, or allow multiple opportunities um, or allow them to kind of like phone a friend. So just just them feeling comfortable, even if it's a student that might be struggling, like they, I just want them to know that their teacher loves them and is happy to be there with them and will do anything to um, help them succeed. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. It's pretty neat. Um, and then as we, with that being said, and to wrap this episode up, is there any advice that you would give to new teachers or maybe even those thinking about entering the educational field? Yeah, for sure. Um, there's a few things. So I would just say have grace with yourself. Um, when you enter 
this field. It's hard. It's not easy. Um, but just know that when you come into the educational fields, you're doing it because you want to help those students. You want to see them succeed. You want to inspire them. Um, so just have grace with yourself because it does get hard and challenging at times. Um, but it is worth it. And also just being flexible and adaptable to different situations. Um, I think that's one of the things I had to learn and just being flexible and that anything can change and just being able to pivot and learn how to do things another way. I feel like if there's anything this year taught us, it's that for sure. Um, and also just being coachable and willing to learn. There is a lot to learn in the education field. Um, and I always, I feel like there's always like a new term or there's something new and upcoming um, that's like hot and trending. And so there's always something to learn. So being coachable and then also being like a lifelong learner, I think is super important in the educational field. And then lastly, which is probably the most important is just take care of yourself. Um, really focus on your self-care and filling your cup because at the end of the day we won't be able to pour into all of these other little people's cups if we can't do that for ourselves so just taking care of yourself I think is super important because it could get challenging um, but at the end of the day it is so worth it thank you so right and you know, with that being said this has been another episode of Teachers Care Society. I want to say thank you again to our guest, Danielle, and most importantly, you the listeners. See you next time.